man to see you, man. Once again, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much, dog. I, I, I don't think they really understand how beautiful it is. You know what I'm saying? Because for me, being a dog locked down, you know what I'm saying, watching you on the box, you know what I'm saying, and now being a part of this, I, I knew I just did what I had to do. You know what I mean? And, and I'm glad to be here, man. Good, for real. You, man. Welcome back from the desk. Well, this is season 11 right now, and man, like, this right here is one of the most monumental moments of the show's history right here. We only started in 2018, but a lot of our guests who appeared on the show worked with this gentleman right here. He also gave them their first shot too. But before I introduce this gentleman, if you don't, if you don't know this gentleman, well, let me take you back. Now, before YouTube, everyone, we had this thing called Video Music Box, okay? Now, this is for cable TV for the kids who are so used to the YouTube. We asked to run home watch it on the TV, and if we missed it, we missed it. There was no recorder or nothing, unless you had the VCR thing ready to go and somebody hit record. But <laughs> as time went on now, too, I like how this gentleman right here has evolved and also took his career to new heights where he didn't even see himself because he once said that he didn't fathom the perk jams being a universal thing, and now hip-hop and some of the artists that we all love looked up to the gentleman right here because he believed in them when no one else did and that's something i think is missing nowadays in this industry is giving somebody a chance who isn't well heard because honestly you never know who they could be this gentleman right here did one of the first ebks for one of my generation's most legendary philosophers lyricist nas and it all comes together when he does his first documentary to give the legendary uncle ralph his flowers. How you doing, Ralph McDaniels? Good, man. Good, man. Great to be here, man. Thank you for the intro. Awesome. Awesome. And big ups to everybody checking in, man. Uh, well, Uncle Ralph, man, like, it's about time that people be giving you your flowers, man. In this documentary that I've been watching for the past, since since Christmas, I've been, I got saved on the computer, so I'm like, yo, I need to watch this over and over, because honestly, sir, your story is one I like to call of American success story. Because mm. I bet you never seen what hip hop can take it this far. It's the most universal language today. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we knew it was something, but you know, it was a small community of people that were into the sound, you know, in the beginning. And, you know, and in the beginning, you know, there were a lot of people that didn't like it, you know. So in trying to get the music out there, like on different radio stations or booking certain venues to do shows nobody was with it and you know but there was a passion that most of us had that we knew that it was important and that if we kept moving and we kept moving it forward and getting better and you know getting better at making songs and getting better at doing shows and you know it would it would get to the part where it was it was accepted like it is today now one of the things i was curious about now too do you remember the very first night that you did your dj gig at blue ice oh wow <laughs> um, I don't remember the date, but I remember it because my dad used to go to this bar called the Blue Ice, right? Yeah. And um, he spoke to the owner and said, "My my son is 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 good at a, at DJing, and you should you should hire him to DJ." And it was the first time I had played inside, you know, like a bar. I, I had done like gigs in the park and gigs in like, you know, um, auditoriums and, you know, gymnasiums and things like that. But this was like a bar and, and it was kind of strange because it was my dad's crowd yeah. and I was like, you know, and I was like, okay, so I have to play music that they like and then music that I like, 
and how do I balance this out? But it, it went seamless and, and, you know, and I just, you know, I think I played, you know, they, they would like, oh, play till like 2 a.m. And, and, and I think I played till 4 a.m. I just kept playing. Oh, wow, music. geez, 4 a.m., wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so that was that was the beginning. And, and I just remember my dad going, that's my son playing the music, that's my <laughs> son. <laughs> they were all drunk, you know, they, that's my son. <laughs> It's good though, right? Because you got to learn what different people like at different ages now too. It's like, oh, sort of Olakau kind of digs this, and then sometimes you could put them onto something totally new. It's like, yo, what is that? Right, right. Now, and that's the great thing about now is that you know, um, I mean, you know, older folks they listen to what they like, but they also listen to the radio or they they listen to you know the streaming network. And they hear the new stuff and they know those songs, you know, they may not know who the artist is. They may not know the details about the artist, but they know those songs. So, um, you know, it always amazes me when, you know, people go, oh, they don't know about this. And I'm like, Do you, if it's playing somewhere enough, they'll, they'll know. They know who the, oh, the yeah. hits, let's put it that way. They know what the hit records are. <laughs> because you come from a time where I always tell people that you, the punk jams, are a time in hip hop that can never be replicated because, you know, with streaming and a, like even like bigger crowd come together for a power jam. But right when hip hop was first at its beginning, the DJ was the main set. So you got to see the evolution of when the MC was the hype man and the DJ was the main set. So when I'm going off this question, when did you start to see the MC replace the DJ? Um, I think when they first started talking about making records, okay. you know, when, and, um, you know, the, the MC, well, there were some MCs that were really good, you know, and you knew it, you know, they, then when they got on the mic, you know, you were like, okay, he can go for a while, yeah. you know, doing whatever he's doing. And I, the first, some of the first MCs I ever heard was DJ Hollywood and um, a guy named Eddie Chiba. And then out in Queens, we had Glenn, Sweetie G, um, to Glenn Toby. And he kind of was taking some of what DJ Hollywood had done. And, um, and then I remember uh, DJing with Lovebug Starsky. And oh. Lovebug Starsky was amazing to me because he was a great DJ technically, and he could rap on beat at the same time. You know, and I was like, I can barely just get the beat part right. He's <laughs> rapping at the same time. And I just stood, stood there and I was, you know, I was amazed looking at him. And I was like, wow, I gotta get my game up. This dude is nice with it. You know? <laughs> but you're doing both? Wow. <laughs> but yeah, that's when you know you started to see the evolution of the guy on the mic, other than the guy on the mic was just making announcements you know, or just saying, hey, what's up, y'all, you know, to the beach, y'all, just simple things like that. Now this guy's, you know, got a, a whole two minute rhyme, you know, and you're like, wow, you know, and the crowd is, you know, is knows it, you know, and it was guys like Love, um, like Hollywood and uh, Eddie Chiba and Love Bug Starsky, um, who were the guys who kind of set the tone of what that looked like in a party situation, you know, not just rhyming, just to tell a story, but the, the party DJs, that's what they, those guys were. Now, when you were first getting into like 
the TV industry now too? Like, was it hard? Because like you said, everything was related to DJing. Like everything was DJing to you. But when you start to get into like the video, like starting to make video mixtapes, do you think that you were like the very first one to be like, hey, we're doing these video mixtapes, but you didn't want to show your face at first. Right. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I definitely believe I was the first to do it. I was doing it even before I did it on TV because I used to be part of this, this like um, this company that Coca-Cola sponsored and we used to go to colleges and we would do video mixing, but we, technically we didn't have the equipment to do it, you know, like the right way, yeah. but, um, but we would play videos. And so when I first joined this, this company, they were like, I can't remember what it was called party USA or something like that. And they only had like rock and roll videos. Okay. And, and I was like, and it was, this was right around the time when I'm just starting to do, to look at what video music box is going to look like. And I would go like, yo, I'm going to bring some of the R and B and hip hop. You know, there's only a few hip hop videos at that time. And, you know, and just more dance orientated, I think that will be better. So I started including, uh, you know, putting my stuff into the mix, which they didn't have. Yeah. And the other the other VJs, and they were like, "Yo, where did you get that?" And then I was like, "You know, this is my boy. He, you know, he did this. You know, and um, and so then they was like, you know, anytime it was a black college, especially at black colleges, they were like, "Well, Ralph has to do it because we don't have any of those videos that Ralph has." <laughs> and even after a while, you know, even the big, I mean, this was like we we were doing like big Ivy League schools like, you know, Princeton and and how Harvard and, you know, I don't know why. I don't even know how that came about. But um, but, you know, they wanted to hear, you know, the stuff that was underground. You know, they they didn't want to hear yeah. you know, Bruce Springsteen. You know, they wanted to hear you know, <laughs> they wanted to hear the underground stuff. <laughs> and that's kind of like like for college, you would think that they want to hear like the mainstream stuff. It's like you guys want to hear the underground? Like, oh, yeah. So would you like to say, like, you know how people use the word plug nowadays, obviously. Would you yeah. like to say that you had, like, all of the newest videos because you had access to them? Like, you had videos that nobody had yet? Yeah, no, I, yeah. The reason, and the reason why I had those videos is because I knew the artists. Yeah. So um, Russell Simmons, who at the time when we first started was a promoter, he was giving parties. And um, Russell was introducing me to all these artists. And um, because he was going to different places, we lived in the same neighborhood in Queens, New York, but he was going to the Bronx before me. And he knew all these guys. And, you know, then, you know, I would hear, oh, they shot a video. And I'd be like, yo, Russ, I need to get a copy of that video. And he'd be like, for what? Like, what are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm working on this project. You know, at the time I was just developing Video Music Box, but I was also doing the VJ thing. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so, I would get a lot of these things directly from the artists or, you know, whoever their manager was because it wasn't playing anywhere. Like it was playing nowhere. And I was like, I'm going to make something that a platform where we could play this stuff because the general public, I well, at least the people that I hang around want to see this. Yeah. And so, you know, and it, it was just like any other underground, I guess, movement where people wanted more, you know, we just want more. And, um, and and anytime that I did a you know a presentation, people were like, "Yo, that was amazing!" Because we never saw that before, you know. And um, and that's how the you know I, I guess I connect with 
music video because, and that's another part of the documentary you're watching Video Music Box is that it came out in the beginning of the music video era when kids used to just go home to yeah. just watch music videos. You know, if it's on, if you watch it on MTV, if you watch it on VH1 or BET or whatever channel, much music up in Canada, um, there was- oh, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, nah, yeah, it was a dope channel, much music. It came out of uh, Toronto and, um, and they were playing all this, this, uh, this stuff that I never heard of, like not just hip hop stuff, like reggae and dance music. And I was like, yo, ooh, this is crazy right here. So it was all happening at the same time. And, um, and that was the beginning of the music video era. Now, when you say the beginning of the music video era now too, you also directed some of the most legendary music videos that we still know to this day. When did you develop your passion for actually being a director for a music video? And like, was hip hop the very first thing that you ever directed? Or did you do like, like little class projects or whole movies before that? So you had a taste of it. No, nah, the first video we did was a dance music video. It was for this artist named Naomi. And Naomi was on Fever Records. So you would think Fever Records, the Disco Fever, which is an iconic hip hop club, that it would be a hip hop video, but they did a they they also were putting out freestyle music, and so Naomi is considered to be one of the first freestyle artists, like that was named a freestyle artist, and um, she was Cuban, she looked black, um, but it was it was you know a freestyle, and this Fever had like Friday night might have been hip hop night, and then Saturday night was freestyle night. And they played freestyle music. So when, when I spoke to the guy Sal at the Fever, he was like, yo, I want you to do this video for me. I'm thinking it's gonna be Love Bug Starsky. He signed to, 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 to Fever. It could be a number of artists. And it was, it just so happens that he's like, no, it's Naomi. And I was like, oh, that's not even a hip hop song. That's a freestyle song. And we shot that in the Fever. And, um, and that was his introduction into understanding the impact that a music video could have. And when then he realized that he needed to do it more with some of the hip hop artists that he had at the time. And um, and he started looking at some of the artists that he had. But also that gave me like a proof of that we can do this. I had never done it before. You know, we had never done a music video before. Um, we got a director, I mean, a, a cameraman that was that had worked on a couple of videos. And so he had an idea of how to do this. And, um, and we just said, okay, these are the locations. And we broke up the song into different locations. And, um, and then that was it. We, we edited everything together and hoped that it came out right, you know? And, um, and it did, it was fine. You know, you look it up, Naomi, um, please don't go. It's on YouTube somewhere. And, um, and that was the beginning of it. And then the next video that we did, the first hip hop video that we did was Roxanne Shantae. Um, Roxanne's Revenge and, and that was right and my my relationship with Roxanne is gone for a very long time you know I worked on her her movie um, Roxanne Roxanne which is on Netflix and um, and you know that was another case of this girl's got this record out Mr. Magic and Molly Mall back then on the radio they're playing the song and um, it's really like a freestyle but it's a record and it came out and they were like, we got to do a video for it. 
and um and I said, all right, and and then we we um me and my partner Lionel Lionel Martin, the Vid Kid, we did it. He directed Lionel directed everything that we did, and I produced. Okay. Now, when 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 you start to look back at the videos that you do after now too, do you realize how far we came in technology? It's like wow, like these kids can do everything on their phone nowadays. Back then, like people had, used to have wheels back then. <laughs> yeah man look you know the amount of work that we used to put in to make a video it was back then we shot it in film in real film oh wow and that was not yeah. very expensive yeah yeah you got to transfer it you got to you know do all the colorize it you now there's an app you could do that just like that but um <laughs> but yeah you know it was a process it was like you know literally like making a, a, a real movie you know, now, you know, like you said, you have your phone, you could do it on your phone. So um, the technology has changed a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the creativity, sometimes in the direction I feel is not there. But I think in the, in the, um, the technology that you can use in the process, a process of making these things is amazing, way far further than we had access to back then. Now, did you have some time adapting to it now, too? Because at the time now, too, like, we didn't know, like, where technology was going to go. Like, I remember when people used to, like, just dream of, like, what we're doing, like, but you could, like, talk to somebody on your phone and see them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I had no idea, you know. Um, I mean, you know, there's old TV shows, you know, that they used to do this. And, you know, it used to be like, wow, just imagine if you could do that. Yeah, and, you could actually you know, talk and do the TV. Right. And um and so nah I, I had no idea that the technology would be what it is today. And um so it's it's pretty amazing. Now when it comes to video music box, like the way that how I think about like media and how we were presenting music back in the day, like because I come from the era where we didn't have the internet. And that's why I'm grateful I was born in that era because I can actually tell people, it's like, you know, we didn't have all of this at the time. We actually had to wait at a certain time. I remember there was a certain channel um, in the late, two no, in the early 2000s where you had to text to get the video that you wanted. And then all the time, yes. And all of them would go up to it. And then, like, I remember spending mad money on that. So when that was going off, had you ever started to think of like, yo, could you do this a video music box? <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that when it first came out, they used to call my show the box for short. And in New York. And um, like, you know, the street would be like, yo, I was watching the box last night, and be like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden this channel came up and it was called The Box. And you could order your videos on there. And I didn't know this at the time, but MTV owned that channel. Oh, wow. And yeah. And so I was like, wait a minute, MTV's in New York. They're watching everything that I'm doing. And this channel comes out and it's called The Box. What is, you know, is this, is there some, you know, what's going on here? Like a shout or something, like subliminal shout or something? I don't know what it was, but, you know, I always felt like, you know, they, they kind of stole our name and they stole our idea because we, we didn't copyright the box. We were called Video Music Box, but the street called us the box. Yeah. And I'm like, why would they go with the box? You know, like, what are the chances of that happening? You know, and um, so, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Well, it's funny, because when my documentary came out, I know a couple of the guys that worked on worked at the box, and they were like, yo, I'm glad you didn't dog us out. 
So I was like, why would he say that? You know? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> See, with that now too, because you even in the documentary, you went to them with the idea for video music box and like, oh, Ralph, we don't know. And then after, when they started to get comfortable, they're like, oh, okay. So you guys didn't think it was going to last this long. That's why like, I always like laugh at people who didn't think hip hop was going to last because now it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, um, MTV was, you know, I knew it. I, once I saw it, you know, I went to like big concerts. I was like, yo, this is crossover because now you're seeing all different people at these shows. You know, yeah. you're seeing black people, white people, Asian, Latino, you name it. Everybody's at the show. We're all there just on the love of this, the music. And, um, and I was like, that's crossover, you know? So yeah. that's MTV. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, yeah, we ready. And um, and I went to MTV and they were like, uh, I don't know. Ooh, it's kind of early. New York might be into that, but the rest of the country's not into that. I was like, nah, it's impossible because these tour, these concerts are going across the country. So it's going into these different cities. It's going into the Midwest. It's going into the South. It's going to LA, you know, like it's happening. And they weren't ready for it. And that was in 85, 86. You know when I went to them, and well, it was probably '86 because Fresh Fest I saw was in '85 because I I remember taking the footage from Fresh Fest, and I was like, I'm gonna okay. take that. To Look at this, right? And then '86, and then '87, almost '88 is when they started Yo MTV Raps. So, um, you know, when they started Yo MTV Raps, people were like, Oh man, you know, Ralph, that should be you, and I was like. Well, I went to them the first time with it and they weren't really with it. I was more pissed off about that meeting than I was that it was on the air two, three, two years later, course, because really. it was more like at this point, it's good for hip hop, you yeah. know, because it's spreading the word, it's getting it more out. Right. Yeah. And so that's I never felt, you know, any type of way after that. You know, now it's just like, OK, let's see what they're going to do. You yeah. know, how it's going to pan out. And um, and that was. And I knew all the guys, you know, I knew Fab Five Freddy, I knew um, Ed, Ed, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, and, you know, and all of those guys, T-Money, I, I knew everybody, you know, and so it was, it was interesting, you know, but I, I still felt like there was so much underground music, by that time, it's like late 80s, there's so much music coming out, that's golden era to some people, um, that they couldn't play everything, and there was still a lot of music that needed to be, to get exposure just on a show like mine, which was considerably local compared to Young TV Rap. I would have loved New York City just to have it because I heard because when I was watching documentary, like I heard like you guys had like for the no cable, it would be like certain channels. That's like what we have in Canada. Like we don't have like don't pay the cable to certain channels on there. I was like, wow, that video music, I would have loved that. Like we don't we don't even need much and we gotta pay for much up here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, nah, it was it was it was a free channel. It was a free channel. If you could get it. You know, it was great. <laughs> you can watch it. What I liked about the documentary, too, and I was also very curious about it now, too, because, like, when you look back at all of the tapes that you've had and of you interviewing these artists at these, like, packed concerts now, too, was there just something in the back of your head that just said, you know, I should I should be recording this? Because, like, you have footage of footage that probably we haven't even seen yet. Yeah. Nah, there's a lot of footage that is it's it's, it's never aired or it aired once, you know, back then. And um, 
I felt like there were moments. I've always, as a DJ, and that comes from DJing, like you know there's a moment in the night that you, the party's gonna get up. You know, it's, gonna, it's, it's about to get go crazy. And I could tell that in performances and artists, you know, when they were on stage. And, you know, you see Method Man on stage and then you see um, Fat Joe and then all of a sudden, Nas is there and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Something's about to happen. This is about to be ill because all of these guys are super talented. And, you know, and I remember my cameraman would say like, okay, should I stop taping? I was like, no, don't, don't ever stop. Tape everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they would be like, so I'd have like hours and hours and hours of footage, you know, of one night at a party. And, um, but you would know, you know, what in that moment would come. And, you know, and very often, um, you know, we've, you know, we might air at the time, whatever was the hot moment. But then when I go back and I look at some of this footage and I see other people that are in the crowd, like, you know, Common and other guys that were starting to come up and, you know, and I'm like, wow, kind of didn't even know that Common was there that night, you know. <laughs> back at it, it's like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like way in the back and Farrell Monch and all these dudes, you know, and you're like, wow, I didn't know they were there, but they were just, you know, they were on the come up, you know, they were observing it. And that happens often. I do, I have, remember having this footage that Big Daddy Kane is performing in Brooklyn, and this is in the late 80s or early 90s, and then the crowd the camera pans the crowd and right in the front of the stage is biggie and oh. he's like literally and i'm like and so this girl that works with me she was like look at this and i'm like what's up she's like and she slows it down and i'm like oh wow <laughs> like, he's like he's right directly in the front like just studying big daddy Kane, you know <laughs> and standing in the crowd you know and it's it's those moments, and that that was never we we I forgot to put that in the doc, but there's a lot of moments just like that that gives you a perspective on what was happening in the scene. Like I think our our stuff is a little bit, you know, like a little bit deeper, you know, like it just it's, it's in, and it's in, it's organic, you know, it's just showing you how we were all just hanging out. Nobody was fancy or nothing, you know, and no egos or nothing. No egos, yeah. It was just, uh, you know, absorbing the music, the vibe, and 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 learning from it. And then, what were you gonna do with it when you got a chance to get on that stage? And we all and see, like just hearing that, like how Biggie studying that, and then years later, it's like, man, it right. just it, it just shows who you can influence at an early age. Right, right, right. And 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 all of these artists have roots. You know, they come from somewhere. You know, so a lot of people come from Kane. You know, Jay Z comes from Kane. You know, Big comes from Kane. You know, a lot of these artists come from out of the that perspective, and then some, you know others in the Bronx come from different. Uh, Lord Finesse, you know, and you know Lord Finesse is like lyrically crazy with it, you know, and you know he's a DJ now. Well, he probably was a DJ back then, but we just, I didn't know that, but. You know, um, but lyrically, Lord Finesse is amazing, you know, and that's where Fat Joe gets his flow from. And, yeah. um, and you know, and all, you know, Big L and all of those guys, they they come from that Lord Finesse 
you know, place. And, 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 and it's just like that, you know, so many different artists came, you know, you know, it could be big, um, Dougie Fresh, you know, his whole vibe, you know, it, 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 it run DMC, you know, everybody, it, it all comes from some, from, from somewhere. Now, when you're naming off these artists now too, you see most people can't even fathom of having access to them now too. So when you, when you were back then, like, let's take it back to like 96, when you're hearing about like the rumblings of like the Wu-Tang, the Northern, like the Run DMC and Kane and the Juice Crew, but knowing that I interviewed these guys, like Slicker, how, how, what was that feeling like knowing like, you know, like I was so early on these guys, like what's that feeling like? Um, I guess I, you know, like Wu-Tang was pretty amazing because I literally was there from the beginning with Wu-Tang. And um in their documentary of Mike's and Men. Right. And you know, when when you know when Rizza became Rizza and then created this thing called Wu-Tang, I was like, what is that? Like, what are you talking about? Like yeah. you weren't talking about that yesterday. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, right. <laughs> he's like, it's a well, new kid, thing. You don't know. Yes. Ah, that's it. And so, you know, it was like he said, I started this new thing. And I was like, okay. And then when he played Protect Your Neck for me, I was like, what is this? And who are all these guys? You know, like, because up to that point, wow. it was, you know, I had done videos for um, the, the Genius, who then became the Jizza. Yes. For, for and, Words of the Genius album, I'm guessing. Right. Yes. And he was on, he was on, Genius was on Cold Chillin' Records, which is where Kane comes from. And that's another reference. Kane, there's a connection between Kane and 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 the genius. And then, you know, you you know, Biz Marquis over there, you know, the whole Coach Chillin' thing. Kane, Kane and Kooji Rap and all these guys. And then out of that comes the Jizza, the and then Rizza, then ODB, and then, you know, Raekwon, you know, and they were all kind of hanging with the Jizza. And then, you know, Method Man is really Staten Island. Like there was nothing like him before that, you know, nothing like Method Man. And Ghost, there's nothing like Ghost. He comes out of Staten Island, you know, pure Staten Island dude. And um, and you're watching these guys and you're like, what is happening right now? And, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, I, I believed in it. Everybody didn't get Wu-Tang at first. Okay. When Wu-Tang first came out, they were like, I don't know what they talking about. What are they talking about? And why is there, you know, Kung Fu movies in their sound? <laughs> you know, even though it made sense, you know, if you grew up in that era, early, late eighties and, you know, early eighties, you watched, uh, you know, karate movies. yeah, you know, and so it made sense, but who would put this in music? Like who had the audacity? <laughs> <laughs> and like look at sound good too like it's like oh this actually goes with it right you know and so when when they came to me and you know i started playing their video first and really put it on the map because you know there wasn't a lot of radio stations that were playing that at all underground radio probably stretching barbito but that was limited you know not everybody was listening to that and so you know when I put it on video music box, everybody watched video music box. And so that was a big deal. And, you know, then RZA came back to me and said, yo, I got this song called Cream. I want you to direct it. Cause you knew I was directing videos. 
And I was like, okay. And he played cream for me and, you know, cash rules, everything around me. And I was like, what? This is crazy. And so, (laughs) and, um, and that was it, you know, and I wanted to take them. That was the first video that they did outside of Staten Island. Oh, so that was in Staten Island. Wow. Right. Everything that they did prior to, you know, to, to, to cream was in Staten Island. We shot part of it in Staten Island, but I wanted to take them into to Manhattan because like if you were in Manhattan, people looked at you different, like you were about money. And I was like, I gotta take you guys into Times Square. So there's a scene where, you know, they got the, the cars and then when they jump out the SUVs, that's a specific shot that I wanted. We shot it in Harlem, you know, right across, right where, where they shot Paid in Full, the movie. Oh. And it was this in the background, you see this place called Willie Burgers, which is the same, Willie Burgers, oh, that's I know that, yes. <laughs> and, and because that was a known location in Harlem and I wanted people outside of Staten Island to be like, oh, wait a minute, these guys be in Harlem too? They be in Manhattan? And so we, we used that location, you know, for a reason. And, um, and, and it was funny because I was telling Raekwon that not too long ago and he said, I didn't even realize that you were doing all of that. <laughs> he said, I just knew that we were shooting it in different places. He said, that was... He says, you know, I had been to those areas, but I didn't know the significance of those areas to hip hop in general at the time. Um, he said, we knew Times Square, of course, Times Square is Times Square in New York. Yeah. But, you know, certain areas in, in Harlem, they didn't know. And um, and that was the beginning, I feel, of Wu-Tang going international. Like that, like it was, it was kind of like, okay, this is bigger than Staten Island, you know, because most people, even in New York, if you've never been to Staten Island, you don't know nothing about Staten Island. You know, it's like, there's no reason to go to Staten Island for any reason, you know, like, unless you live there. Yeah. <laughs> now when people say here Staten Island, like, oh, that's where the Wu's from. Right, it's, it, they don't even call it Staten Island, it's Shaolin. You know? Oh yes, right, yes. <laughs> what I like, I like how you brought up the part of certain locations, like Times Square, Times Square, but there's certain locations in New York where, you know, it just has that significance. Now, I wanted to always know, because you said in the documentary that when MTV raps were starting to get comfortable, you know, with the mainstream, and I'd be like, we're going to go deeper to the underground. That's where you started, like Mob Deep, Jay-Z, DMX. But one of the locations I've always heard crazy stories about, and I, I kind of wish I went there at the time, but I wasn't old enough, the tunnel. Now, has Ralph McDonald's ever been to the tunnel? Oh, yeah, yeah. The tunnel was the spot, you know. The tunnel was a, a um, like a dance music place, you know, like all types of music. You know, you could go there on a Thursday night. They might be playing techno on Friday night. Might be, you know, um, what they call bridging tunnel crowd, which is, you know, like pop dance music and stuff. Saturday night is pop dance music. But on Sunday night was hip hop night. And, you know, it's like, who goes to the club on Sunday? Hip hop is go, cause that's the only night we have. They'd only give us like Sunday night or Monday night or Tuesday, or maybe a Thursday night they would give it. And, um, and that becomes the location for everything that's of that era, you know, um, Funk Master Flex, who's become the, the number one DJ on the radio and in the clubs too, um, is the DJ on that night. Um, the promoters are Chris Lighty, who starts Violator Records. Um, Chris Lighty. 
Yeah. Um, and Jessica Rosenblum, who's like kind of like the queen of the uh, underground in the in the in in Manhattan, um, in the in the, in the hip hop clubs and hip hop space, and um, and they create this space that is you know is is just super cool, and it's a super club. You know, it's a it's a literally it's a tunnel. It's like the um, it's it was like where the train went through. You know, oh, okay. so you're like. Like it's like the tunnels in the if you're in the subway and where it goes into the dark part of the subway, that's what the tunnel looked like, you know. Oh, and so, you know, yeah, that's what I was called a tunnel. It was like it was like a subway tunnel. And so, um, and it was just it, it's you know, it was it was just crazy, you know. And and that era of the early 90s is you know is a new era of music starting to happen with the Nas's and the uh, black moons and um and Wu Tang and you know and big you know and that that whole era is a different sound than what was before that but like you know before that was Tribe Called Quest and KRS now it's starting to change it's, it feels a little different because the crack era is at an all-time high in that particular era so it's about money it's about you know you know, hustling, it's about, you know, all of that. And everybody who was into that sound is going to the tunnel for that reason. And the artists start to show up and Flex is playing those records that everybody wants to hear. And it just reflects exactly what the streets look like in New York City at the time. And see, New York is one of those places that like, it's not all the place, like there's no other places because that's where hip hop was birthed. But there's also no other place like New York. Like when I talked to uh, General Steele from Smith and Weston early on in my career, he said that the one thing that you have to do in your life is experience New York City and all of the boroughs with it. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing too is like people, you know, every borough has different. It's has its its own um, identity. You know, Brooklyn has its own identity. I think Smith and Weston is a great reference of uh, of what that is because. You know, they have that reggae vibe to what they do, which is sound, it feels like Brooklyn. You know, it's a it's a grimy, it's a grungy, you know, hip hop vibe. It's, and you know, and that's what, at the, even now, that's what Brooklyn sounds like to me. And, um, and then Manhattan is all about, you know, getting money, you know, and, you know, and, and being fly, you know, and dressing up and, you know, and doing cool stuff like that. And, um, Queens is 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 like its own thing, you know. Queens is 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 I think the Queens artists really study what's going on in the rest of the boroughs, and then they wait, and then they go like, okay, I got it, you know. And then they come with, you know, you know, when you got a group like Mob Deep, like they studied it before. Like first Mob Deep's album is like totally different from the second Mob Deep album, oh, yeah. <laughs> and because they've like they. <laughs> yeah they studied it and were like okay this is where we're going with this and then they heard Illmatic and they were like oh well, we definitely got to go in another direction and um and um you know all the artists from Queens you know 50 you know um just so many different different sounds that they conquered a sound you know Tribe Called Quest they conquered a sound um Run DMC, nothing sounded like Run DMC. The, the, yeah. Nobody even knew what Hollis Queens was before Run DMC. I was just gonna no. say that's how I learned what Hollis Queens was before Run DMC. Yeah, 
So, um, so yeah, so Queens has their own identity. And then the Wu-Tang, you know, come from, you know, Staten Island and, you know, they were artists out of Staten Island prior to Wu-Tang, but Wu-Tang really kind of like made it a whole vibe, you know, and, yeah. and it started like, you know, a, a, a different feeling of what it was all about. So, you know, um, yeah, you can go to a club in Manhattan in Times Square and it's kind of general, but if you go up to Harlem, it, you can tell the vibe and the quality of the music. Harlem is one of the most creative places on the planet to me, you know, and um, I can agree. And you go to certain places just by the way the kids dress now, you know, you're going to see something first. Um, the music that they're playing, the way they're presenting it is is different. Yeah, well, and like, especially from that time, because like, when we were experiencing high school in my generation, it was the Dipset era. So everybody was, you know, looking up the camp, like Joel Santana of the bandana. So that's what I mean. Like, Harlem is like very special within New York now, too. I noticed now, too, because there's so many key locations that happen in Har Tupac, Boiler, and Harlem, paid in full, and so on. But like, but if you start to put all of the major hip hop moments, a lot of them is in New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nah. I mean, um, even the whole ASAP movement, um, you know, um, ASAP Rocky and, and, and ASAP Ferg, you know, those guys, they, 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 they started a whole thing, you know, in Harlem, you know, um, and it's, you know, it's different, you know, that wouldn't have happened in Brooklyn, that wouldn't have happened in Queens, it, it had to happen the way it, it, it made sense that it happened in, in Harlem. Now, one of the things that I admire about your career now, too, is because you never wanted to show your face. You just wanted to be your voice. Mm -hmm. when I back on my career, I was like, you know what? I had to kind of, because I didn't want to show my face. I'm like, I just want to record. But my mentor told me, you have to start showing your face. People are going to want to see who you are. I was like, oh, okay. So after a while, you get used to it. But one of the things that I was curious about Uncle Ralph is, how did you get into the interviewing the artists? Because like being a VJ and then being an interviewer is two different things in my eyes now too, because you can have a conversation and when they answer those questions, you can have a whole different perspective on that person's music. It's like, oh, wow, he's just like us. Well, yeah, you know, that was the thing about Video Music Box. And because we saw these artists all the time, it wasn't like, you know, like, three months went by and then I saw them. It was like, we saw them, they were getting ready to put the record out or their album out. We were there. We saw them when the album came out, we saw them the week after that. So it was like a constant conversation. Like the conversation was, it wasn't like specific to one thing. You know, sometimes people go, oh, like, well, you know, did you guys talk about this? And I'm like, well, we might have, but we were also talking about what food we went to eat last night. <laughs> and, and because it was all just part of the scene, you know, it wasn't like a, a traditional interview, like how, like we're having right now. Yeah, like how we're doing it. Right. And um, it was like, yo, man, did you see the game the other night, man? And then we start talking about the, you know, a basketball game. And then, you know, oh yeah, well, anyway, yeah. So what's up, I mean, what's up, what's up with the album? What's up with, you know, what's getting ready to happen next? You know, it, it's all mixed up in the conversation. So the conversation is very uh, abstract. And it's funny because 50 Cent said to me one time, he's like, he says, this is different. When I'm doing video music box, it's it's more like me, regular. Yeah. You, know, you know, I'm not 
if I'm doing MTV or something else, then I got to be proper and, you know, and watch what I say. Media trade, I like to say. Yeah. <laughs> but when I'm doing video music box, I can say whatever because <clears throat> I know what the crowd, you know, I know who the audience is. I know who the kids are that are watching the show. And, you know, and they know me, the real me. You know, they don't know professional 50 Cent. They know me, regular 50 Cent. Booby, they know me like that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so... um. I think that that's what made it popular too, because we actually knew these people. Yeah. And even when artists came in from outside of New York, like I remember the first time I met Easy E and Ice Cube and um, Snoop, like they came to parties that we already had going, you know, and we were like in those parties, and it just like it seemed like you know we knew who they were, we respected them for their music. And they just jumped in and just kind of, you know, it's the New York vibe. What this is what's going on. All right, what's up? You know, and and those why the interviews were so kind of candid in a way. You know, we just talking about whatever happened that day, you know, something might have happened, you know, and we were like, yo, did you you hear about what happened, right? And they were like, Yeah, man, yeah, it's crazy. You know. <laughs> you guys are always chilling together. Right, because we're always chilling together, yeah. And um, so you know. I wish sometimes I did more formal interviews just for the sake of information sometimes, yeah. you know, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But it's all about times and moments that you put yourselves in now too, because like I said, like if you have never went, if you were never born in New York, there would probably be no video music box. So it's all about certain situations that you put yourself in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we were just there to, to, like, no, when we first started taping, nobody was, was even doing that. Like, when we first came up with a camera and a light, people were like, what happened? Like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, like, why? Why are you doing this? What is this for? You know, is this for the news? Because that was the only time you saw a camera in the hood. And it was like, did somebody get shot? Like, what just happened? You know, like, what, what's going on? Why is there a camera like here? Right, why is there a camera like here? Nobody had phones with lights on them back then. You know, it was like, it was even technology wasn't to the point where everybody had, a, you know, some type of camcorder or whatever. Yeah, but like, when you go to shows, it's like, that's all you see. That's all you see. Yeah. You there was none of that, none of that back then. And some people say, you know, the phones are ruining the show, you know, and, you know, I can understand that, but I mean, it's just a different experience in how people take it in. Yeah. But back then there was no distraction. You were just watching whatever was going on on stage or whatever was happening in the crowd. And that was it. Actually, like, actually, like, absorbing it. Because it's all about the energy in the room. And that energy, because you go to, I went to certain shows and I've done on the phone and that energy that you get from the artist, it's, it's different when you're in person as opposed to, like, watching it through a screen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I mean... I mean, you know, not even just hip hop shows. I've just seen some amazing, like I remember, and this is kind of weird. It's like, I remember going to see MC Hammer at Madison Square Garden. And that was one of the most amazing shows I ever saw in my life. MC Hammer Live was like the Super Bowl, you know? Oh, wow. It was like sparks going off and lights and this and that. And then the, the music was loud as hell and it was pumping. And I was like, this guy can really do a show. You know, like I may not like all the music, but he do he knows how to do a show. You know, he knows how to put on a show. And people, you know, I mean, that was his story is like, you know, he spent all his money, then you know, he went bankrupt for a while, 
because he just put all of his money into the show. <laughs> you know, he was hiring all the dancers. He would come out with like 50 dancers and everybody was getting paid. And, you know, and he ran through his money back in the days. You know, he's good now. I, I see him now. He's, he's doing quite well. Him and guys like E-40, you know, like, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their thing, man. Yeah, you know, like, you know, and that's the cool thing about, about New York is that, you know, people would come here for whatever reason to do media um, or MTV and back then. So, you know, everybody would come to New York for whatever reason to do radio. Um, so I got to meet, you know, guys like E-40 and still friends with today and Too Short um, and, you know, Cats Out of South, you know, of course, you know, you know Little John when he started, you know, as a DJ and, um, and um, Luda, you know, all of those guys, yeah. And that's what I like now too, because you come from different generations now too. You got to experience like the shady aftermath era, the whole game situation. Like, mm -hmm. and then like even with today now too, like I'm curious, like who does Ralph McDonald's listen to today? That's a good question. Um, I um I like sonically listening to Travis Scott. Sonically, okay. yeah, you know, um. Again, um, with the live shows, that's what he does. Puts a lot, well, before the yeah. controversy, but before right. that, he was dumping money all into the live shows for the experience. For the experience. I appreciated that, you know, because I used to go to, I would go to like rock and roll shows just to see what rock and roll bands did on stage, yeah. lighting wise and sound wise, you know, and I'd take, you know, some ideas from, you know, different experiences. You know, like I go to Disney World just to see how they lit the, the, the place, you know, like you get a lot of ideas when you go to these places, you know? And um, so I appreciated a good show and good sound and good lighting. And I think that, that I, I got that out of Travis Scott. Um, um, who else am I listening to? I think her is pretty good. You know, oh, SZA wow, is pretty okay. good. Right, coming out of left field with these answers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I think that they're doing, it's funny cause I was watching the other night What's the guy's name? K Tronida. He's a DJ and uh, he's got a record out with her. And um, and I watched, I've listened to him, his music. He's more like a dance DJ, dance music, but he he incorporates hip hop into what he does. And um, and I was like, you know, he's really grown, you know, his music, and now he's got artists like her, you know, that he's working with. He's, he's just he used to just do remixes and stuff. And um, now he's, you know, like he's got mainstream artists that are working with him because sonically he created this sound with his tracks and it became a vibe and now people are kind of on it, you know. So, I mean, you know, I look, can nobody front, you know, I, I tell people like, don't front on Drake, you know, like, you know. Oh, I, I mean, tell people that too, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I'm like, yo, bro, dude makes records, man. Like, you know, that 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 feel good. And I remember the first time I heard a Drake time or Drake record on some blog I used to follow. And I was like, who the hell is Drake? And why do they keep posting his music? Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, it was like it was growing, it was growing, and then boom, now, you know, number one guy in the world, you know. So, you know, it's 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 you know, at the end of the day, that's not easy to do. Oh, like, especially with the longevity now too to keep up at it because that's i like to say that's like canada's jay-z yes 
Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I'm pretty sure that Jay-Z sits and looks at Drake and is proud of what, what, what Drake does, you know, because that's not an easy thing. That's not an easy thing to do. You know, yeah. like, yo, that's not, you know, Jay had to be in the zone all the time. And he, I mean, he can jump into that zone, you know, now whenever he wants, it's just maybe the audience is not as wide as it is for him that it is for Drake, but he still catches people's attention, you know, when he drops something like, okay, let me just hear what he did. You know, let me see what's, why is he making this record? Why is he putting this song out? Yeah, that's, I still find that crazy how certain artists have that impact of like a whole, like, like, it's like the audience now too. It's like they drop something, everybody would drop. It's like, okay, I need to go listen. <laughs> now, um, I got a couple, of, <clears throat> couple more questions for you, Ralph McDonald's, and I'll let you go because I understand you're a very busy man. I would love, love that you took the time to do this. Sir. Yeah, um, yeah, I got to catch up with Fat Joe in a little while. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. The big show, they said. He says it's the big show, bro. <laughs> the price went up. <laughs> Yesterday's price is not today's price. <laughs> now, um, what I like about this documentary now, too, and I think it's one of the most amazing documentaries of the last 25 years, because I'm a big documentary nerd. I And I, if I go back and watch something again, I love that. Yeah. So did you really spend 10 years putting this together? Yeah. No, we, um, we originally you know, had pitched the idea. Um, I feel like maybe it was to Netflix or somebody like that at first. And then um, some time went by and then we went to HBO and we thought it was gonna happen at HBO and it didn't happen at HBO. And then we went back to Netflix and they weren't interested at the time. And then um, a friend of mine, Sasha Jenkins, who I was bringing on to direct it, he directed uh, the Wu-Tang uh, documentary of Mikes and Men and um, a couple other documentaries with Mass Appeal. And he was like, yo, I think I might have something going on at Showtime. And I was like, all right, let's see what's up. And um, and they pitched it. And the guy at Showtime was, he grew up watching Video Music Box. And oh, he was like- No brainer. Right, he was like, what? Video Music Box? You guys know Ralph McDaniels? And they were like, yeah, we know Ralph McDaniels. <laughs> and he was like, I want to see it. What is this all about? And um, and once they got an idea of what it was going to look like, at that point, Nas was executive producer. He wasn't directly yet. And, um, you know, they were like, yeah, we want to go with it. And then Nas was like, I think I might want to direct this. And I was like, when do you have time to direct this, bro? And he was like, I can do it. It's important to me. You know, like this is an important part of history. And I was like, all right. And that was it. You know, once you got, you know, and then you, the thing is too, is that when you have someone like Nas having your back, that's a big deal, you know, because, you know, when he talks, corporate listens, you know, I can say the same thing. And he comes in and says the same thing I said. And then they listen. And they listen, you know, so, you know, that, that was a big deal, yeah. <laughs> What I like about that, that now too is when he's interviewing you, like that must have been like something like a full circle moment because you're like, man, I remember interviewing this kid when he was he was like nobody, and now he, he's doing my documentary. Yeah, nah, nah, definitely he's little bro, but he's big bro, and um, so I think that we both enjoyed that part of it. You know, it's like he's like, yo, you Ralph McDaniel's man. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, and you're Nas. <laughs> you know? Even when you guys are watching like the old, like the tapes in that one room now together now too, like how many times did you guys do that off camera? Like just like a, just a moment between you and him. Um, We did that, those, we shot those in two days. 
So okay. yeah, so we did those, those those days twice, and um, and I think for him, it was like he's really nostalgic. Yeah, you, I mean, you can tell like he loved yeah. doing that with you. Yeah, yeah. Not every artist is like that, you know. Not every person that's into it is like that, you know. But he would like to know how things connect. Yeah, you know. And um, and so you know that helped him figure out probably other things that he wants to do, why they connect the way they do. Yeah. Well, and you also gave him his first EBK now too, because what I like to say now too is like you guys got to grow with each other. You guys got to see the he got to see the evolution of what you went through leaving WCW, reemerging as Uncle Ralph now too. Now, before I let you go, sir, now I, I this is something that is very near and dear. When you're directing, I don't know, sorry, when you look back at this documentary now, too, and how Showtime only said we're only going to give you 90 minutes, because there's so much yeah. extra footage that you said now, too. Have you ever thought about doing like a like a mini series for this, like as a continuation? Yeah, well, that's what um we've been talking about now. Um, and I, I haven't really publicly said this, but I'm going to say it on your show is that, um yeah, that's what we're working on now, um doing something you know, special for Showtime, I mean, you know, we got a documentary out there, but some other stories that go along that may not be as long as the 90 minutes, but it may be an hour or it may be, you know, you know, whatever, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a series, whatever it is, um, that, you know, get into specifics about the different eras, because there was so many stories that were cut out of that documentary. Yeah. That didn't, um, cause originally we had at least three hours in the cut. And Showtime. Oh my like, God, Showtime! Why? Why would you only give ninety minutes? Give them three yeah. hours next time. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that Showtime um, realizes that now that there's, you know, oh, this, this is first of all, we got great, you know, reviews, and it's streamed highly on the channel, and now they're like, okay, we should do more. What are we doing? And so, um, and there's footage that like people have never seen, you know, just moments. Like how much we were talking about earlier, like the Big Daddy Kane and the Biggie. Right. You know, like that's like amazing. You know, like, you know, it was amazing to me, you know, to see that because I didn't know. And I was there that night. But <laughs> nobody knew who Biggie was. You know, Biggie, Biggie didn't exist. He was he was Christopher Wallace in the crowd, you know. <laughs> and, so, and so, so yeah, so all of those moments, um, you know that makes sense, and 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 even with artists that were not from New York, you know, there's some, you know, there's some amazing stuff. Like, you know, like there's there's some footage. I gave it to DJ Khaled to post up, and Khaled, you know, started out as a reggae DJ. Yes, and he was amazing. And there's all this footage that I have of Khaled in Kingston, Jamaica, and I gave him a couple of clips, and um. He was like, yo, I can't believe you even have this on tape, bro. <laughs> and he's killing it, you know? And he was like, can I post this? I was like, yeah, man, come on. Of course, it's you, sir. But yeah, just say my name, you know? <laughs> and, so, and, so, and, um, and, you know, stuff like that, that people, like, people wouldn't even understand, like, why is Khaled in Jamaica? Like why they wouldn't even understand that, you know, like what is going on here? And that night, you know, there were so many amazing things like Wyclef performed and Sean Paul performed. And, you know, like there's all of this amazing, amazing footage of, 
of a scene in, in, in Jamaica that, you know, people who know, and especially like in Jamaica and in Japan, you know, and in Canada, you know, they know the vibe, you know, you know, like you just have to know. <laughs> you know? Gotta be there to experience it. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, Mr. Ralph McDowell is now too. I know you're a busy man. I like to sincerely take your time to thank you for doing this now too, because you influenced people who I look up to. You influenced Doggy Diamonds, who who I look up to a lot, and I interviewed him too. And you, your name has appeared on my show since the third episode. I'm over 160 something episodes. Wow. Wow. It's an honor to talk to you. So Mr. Matt Hoffer would love it. Oh, big up to big up to you, man. Big up to my dude Kev Lawrence for linking us together. Big shout out to Kev, man. I appreciate you, Kev, now too. Um, so Uncle Ralph now too. Is there any last word that you would like to say? Like a a bit of inspiration now too, because when I look back on interviews now too, sometimes I like to see what the artist or the media personality says that those little bit of inspirational lines that can lift somebody's day. So maybe somebody's looking up to you and then they hear this and it's like, you know what? I heard that on from the desk low and that will for always live with me. I mean, for me, if you, if you want to do what I do or do what you do or Doggy does or Kev or any kind of media is like, let it do, let the, let the, um, let the content do what it does. You know, like you're, you're great at interviewing and, opening it up and setting it up so that I can talk, you know, like sometimes I feel like the interviewer could get in the way, yeah. you know, could be annoying, you know, in a way. And they're trying to be a superstar. Like, I don't feel like you're trying to be a superstar, even though you, you are, you know, I, I didn't try to be, I wasn't trying to be a superstar when I started, I was just trying to show you the scene, what was going on or introduce an artist or whatever it was. And some of those artists were nobody, you know, and, 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 and you know, and nobody knew them, but I treated them like they were somebody. Yeah, because you felt that connection. Right, you know, and I think that that's, that's the key. You know, you know, I'm not saying you got to interview somebody for an hour, you know, that's, that nobody knows. But if it's two minutes, that's a long time. That's more than what they have. And so give people a shot and that's it, you know, and, 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 and move on and, and hopefully you know, they remember a lot of artists forget, but it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> but that was very inspirational, sir, because when you said that, too, I thought about these artists who didn't have any interviews and I wanted to hear from them. And I'm like, you know what? No one's interviewing them. I'm right. interviewing them. Now, half these artists, like one Rome Streets, signed to Gazelle. It's like, dude, I got it. I got his first interview. So we're just like, when I see your story and then I look at mine, it's like, you know, I got to pay attention more to Uncle Ralph, man, because he's the original uncle. Shout out to Soup Dog, though. <laughs> um, so, Uncle Ralph, now to you, I'd like to sincerely thank you again. And is there a website where people can support you, sir? Yeah, you can go to um, videomusicbox.com. We have all of the, the gear, the, the, the video music box gear. That's it. And, um, Iconic. Yeah. Um, and um, follow me on social media at, at Video Music Box. And with that being said, this is another episode from The Desk of Low featuring somebody who inspired this show in so many ways. I already said he gave his first shirt, Mr. Ralph McDaniels. I salute you, Uncle. Salute. Peace, man.